Good morning. Have your Bibles with you. Open to Psalm 136. There's a line that continues over and over again in the psalm. Some translations render it His loving kindness. Some say it's mercy, or some render it as His love is eternal, or His love endures forever. So when I come to that last line, I want you to make it so everybody's on the same page. Say, for His mercy is forever. Or His mercy is everlasting. Say, His mercy is everlasting. So, verse 1, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To Him alone does great wonders. To Him who made the heavens with skill. To Him who spread out the earth above the waters. To Him who made the great lights. The sun to rule by day. The moon and the stars to rule by night. To Him who smote the Egyptians in their firstborn and brought Israel out from their midst with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. To Him who divided the Red Sea asunder and made Israel pass through the midst of it. But He overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. To Him who led His people through the wilderness. To Him who smote great kings and slew mighty kings. Shihon, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. And gave their land as a heritage. Even a heritage to Israel his servant. Who remember us in our low estate. And rescued us from our adversaries. Who gives food to all flesh. Give thanks to the God of heaven. Heavenly Father, indeed You are good. And Your mercy is everlasting. And for that, we say thank You. And we thank You for the gift of Your Son, who is our Lord and Savior. His name we pray. Amen. It's a psalm of praise. Just like in Psalm 135, it says praise the Lord. Today we give thanks. Thursday is called Thanksgiving. Webster defines thanks, giving thanks or thanksgiving as a public acknowledgement or celebration of divine goodness. And this is exactly what this psalm is. It's a public declaration of thanks to God. 
we need to publicly thank God, not this time of year, not just limited this time of year, but every day we wake up, we need to give thanks to Him. We just read it the way it was saying among God's people. They had one choir sing the first part of the verse, and another choir was singing the second part of the verse. And that second part of the verse, it rep, it's repetitious, but it serves sort of like an amen after each line that was read as they remember the goodness of God. And God should be praised for His creation, His providence, His deliverance and care for His people, for His judgments on their enemies, and His goodness to all. And we find all this within this psalm. Why or how can we give thanks to God in the year 2020? After everything that's gone on, politically, economically, health-wise, not one person has escaped the effects of 2020. It's affected us all at one point or another. So how can we give thanks to God this morning? Very simply, it's right in the psalm. For His mercy is everlasting. In verses 1 through 3, you see a call through thanksgiving. And the psalmist looks first at God's goodness manifested in His mercy. His grace, His love, His loving kindness is everlasting. And the opening verse serves as a threefold invitation to join in on thanking God for His goodness and mercy. The most significant term used in the psalm describes the character of God. His mercy, or His love, or His loving kindness is forever. It's part of His eternal character. By mercy, we understand the Lord's deposition to save those whose sin has rendered them miserable and vile. And the provision He has made for the redemptions of sinners, the cross of Christ. The counsels, the advice, the guidance of this mercy has been from everlasting. And the effects of it will endure forever to all who are interested in it. The Lord continues, equally ready to show mercy for anyone who seeks after it. It's this is our source of comfort this morning and our hope. That indeed His mercy is everlasting. He extends it to all who simply seek after it and ask for it. Remember your salvation experience. God didn't sit back and say, well, let's do this, let's do that, then I'll think about it. No, in that moment when you cried out to God, His mercy extended to you. And eternal life was given to you. As you're repentant and turned from your sin, even now as a born-again believer, when you come to God and you confess sin and you repent of it, God, His mercy extends to you. But it's not just believers. His mercy is now even extended to all His creation. He lets it rain on the just and the unjust. His mercy is now is being portrayed because His Son has not come back yet. Why is that? Because He's patient. His mercy is going out wanting that one more person to come to Christ. That all should come to repentance and that none should perish. Give thanks to the God of gods. In Hebrew, He is the Elohim of the Elohim. 
Lord is ruler over all things, whether be it sacred or civil matters. Think about this. Empires rise and they fall. Man's cruelty to man continues on and on. There's suffering and sorrow, war and famine, oppression and injustice. All over the planet, from pole to pole, from sea to sea, But God in His mercy has set a limit to it all. Even to this point, evil men will die. Oppressions will be overthrown. God wins in the end. Everything we see happening today, I'm not trying to make light of it. Suffering is real. It hurts. All of us have experience suffering to some point or another. It's part of the existence. But there's a time limit. This is temporary. All this is going to go by when he comes again. In verses 4 through 9, you see the God of creation. We have a God who, who alone does great wonders. Think about the universe for a second. Full of great wonders from the atom. We can't see with our naked eye. We have to look at a microscope and look at, discover all these things to the bigger outer mysteries we see, like the black holes. You know, some of the stuff, science has a theory, but when you press them, it says, hey, we just don't know. There's so much that we claim to know, but there's so much we simply do not know. That's why they're called theories. All creation bears tribute to the wonder of God. Last night, the stars came out. I know some was overcast, but Scripture tells us God calls them out by name. The sun rose this morning. He commanded the sun to rise. He is sustainer. Not only is creator, but he's also sustainer. Creation is an illustration to both the power and the intelligence of God. The universe is the great display of his wisdom. And the heavens give a clear demonstration of the glory of God. God reveals his mercy by giving us a wonderful creation to use and enjoy. Now we need to be good stewards of his creation And we're never taking for granted the wonderful world in which he placed us on. Think about life on this planet. How delicate life really is. They tell us if the earth was just a hair off one way or the other, we got too close to the sun, we burn up. We got too far back, we freeze. The tilting of the earth that gives us the seasons, the rotation of the earth, day and night, all this is so precise. Life itself. The human body. I mean, what a great, wonderful creation the human body is. That's because it came with a designer, and his name is God. It wasn't some accident that this happened randomly. No, you're created with a reason, with a purpose by God himself. Look what the psalm says. To him who made the heavens with skill. Literally in the Hebrew, with understanding. He gave the sun and the moon their form. The sun is a giant reactor generating heat and light so efficiently. 
the moon is the great reflector of the light from the sun that shines down on us all night. See, the, the moon just simply reflects the sun's light to give us light at night. He thought of that. It reminds me as a believer that I'm going to be like the moon. I need to reflect the light of his truth into a cold, dark world. Think of the, the order of the universe. The way they obey the laws of God as they undertake their journeys. The set rule of the sun, moon, and stars is another proof that God's mercy is everlasting. And now we come to the major part of the psalm, verses 10 through 25, the God of history. Look what it says. <laughs> this kind of struck me at first. Like, how can, you, how can you say this is mercy? To him who smote or struck or killed the Egyptians in their firstborn. How can that be mercy? I mean, how in the world can this be mercy if he's striking down their firstborn? It is mercy. How could you say that? Well, it could have been everybody. But hold on, there's more. This didn't happen until God himself had manifested himself to Pharaoh and Egypt, to both his pity and power nine times, the plagues. It's not until God had been lied to, played with, and resisted by Pharaoh that God, God said, that's enough. Nine times they could have turned towards him, but they didn't. So he just didn't up and do that on a whim. And even in the Old Testament, people say the Old Testament's full of wrath and condemnation. Go back and look at the story in context. Time and time again, God goes to his people and says, you're doing this. Turn away from it. If you turn away from it, I will forgive. I will have mercy. But if you don't, this is going to happen. You see his mercy in the Old Testament. You see his mercy in the New Testament. And if you want to look at the embodiment of his mercy, look to the person of Jesus Christ. Even in his wrath, God remembers his mercy. He said he brought out Israel from their midst or from among them. Think of the great things God did for Israel when he brought them out of Egypt. His mercies endured for 40 years. Anyway, he brought his people out of bondage. They were slaves. But when they left, they plundered the Egyptians. You went from slave with nothing and you're leaving with freedom, and you got all this stuff with you. You plundered your captors, your oppressors, and they left out. And you know the story. They go across the Red Sea. They, anyway, they send the, the 12 spies out, and after everything they've been through, they say, well, we can't do it. What? And they spent 40 years in the wilderness. But God didn't leave them there, though, did he? He stayed with them. He put them in possession of a good land. He didn't leave them by themselves. He guided them through the wilderness. We'll get to that in a moment. But think of ourselves. Our redemption by Christ endures forever. God has not brought you this far to leave you by yourself now. It doesn't just cut it off. Even when we go away from him and turn away from him and turn away from him, we keep getting more, further and further away from him, he still reaches out with his mercy. And it's good to consider the history of God's mercy, his grace, and his love. Look, it says, to him who divided the Red Sea asunder, literally imparts Pharaoh and a final fit of fury gathered his army 
says he took 600 select chariots and all the other chariots. And in Exodus chapter 14, verses 19 and 20, it says the angel of God, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. So they're up against the Red Sea. So that pillar of cloud that was leading them came behind them to protect them from the Egyptians. And then the waters of the Red Sea parted so God's people will safely pass. And let me make a simple note. The text is very clear. They walked on dry ground. You ever been to a lake when it caught drying up? It's not immediately dry, is it? It's kind of muddy and yucky. But the text tells us they walked on dry ground. And in verse 22 of Exodus chapter 14, it says, The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land. And listen to this. And the water were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Could you imagine seeing that? You're walking on dry ground. you got these walls of water inside of you as you're walking through this. He overthrew, he hurled, or he swept, or literally you could say he shook off Pharaoh and his army. As Pharaoh started in, kicked his, spurred his horses, and he and his regiments leaped forward. Halfway across, look at the text. It says, the wheels of Pharaoh's army on their chariots fell off. God made their wheels fall off. They're starting to have problems. And then came back the sea and collapsed and killed every last one of them. And here's the point. I said this a minute ago. I'm going to repeat it. God had not saved Israel from Egypt in order to surrender them to their foes. God has not saved you from the power of sin and death just to leave you now. He hasn't brought Forestburg Baptist Church to this point in history to say, that's it, I'm done. <laughs> he still demonstrates in his mercy. Even when we don't trust him like we should, even when we doubt things, he still shows us time and time again that he wants and he desires to use this body. He extends his mercy to us. Sooner or later, tyrants like Pharaoh meet their match in God. And all history bears this out. World War II. Perhaps you heard this guy, Hitler. Very evil man. A lot of people suffered, greatly suffered, when he was ruler of Germany. A lot of people died. But guess what? He's dead now. His rule is over. God rules forever and ever and ever and ever. If God does not strike down the tormentor in the first acts of his defiance, it's because God loves even that tyrant. And I mentioned this, but I didn't mention the uh, scripture, 2 Peter 3, 9, that tells us that the Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That's why he hasn't come back yet. His mercy is everlasting. By the, by the way, that term mercy, strictly in this context with the Hebrew word, it means loyal love. 
usually speaking about his commitment to his covenant, that he doesn't forget his promises. So all those words you see in different translations. New American Standard says loving kindness. One might say mercy. One might say his love endures forever. That's all wrapped up in that one word you find in Hebrew. It's really hard to find that one English word that captures everything that that Hebrew word means. His loyal love. We're under the new covenant with Christ. God always keeps his word, always keeps his covenant. In other words, when the end comes, we stand before God. He's not going to say, oh, I was just kidding, I changed my mind. No, it's not like that. He is steadfast. He is sure. There's no shadow of turning, as the old hymn says. He is always faithful. He said he led his people through the wilderness. His daily guidance of Israel was a great demonstration of his mercy. He led them into experiences that would develop and discipline them. Experiences that would delight them. He fed them with bread from heaven and gave them water. Gave them victory over Amalek. But above everything else, he bore their grumblings and complaints. Even providing all this with them, being there with them, they still grumble. Can you imagine for a moment? I just rather go back to Egypt because at least I have food to eat there. They actually were saying that. You know, a bunch of Baptists were them because they pointed up the committee, say, "Oh, funny, we go back to Egypt." Say, "Aye, aye, okay, let's tell Moses." What? After seeing all that happen, but we're the same way. And you say, well, if I was there to see the miracle of the Red Sea and all this, I would. Yeah, you would have. You've been just like the rest of them. The greatest miracle, I've said this before, the greatest miracle we can see, more than physical healing, is when someone comes and they give their life to Christ. And now they become part of the family of God. They're a friend of God. They're a child of God. Because before that, they were dead in their trespasses and sins. They were an enemy of God. And you see a life transformed by the power of the gospel. That's truly a miracle. Because it's not temporary. That goes on forever. The effects of it will continue on forever and ever. He tolerated all their complaints and their chronic or their persistent unbelief. In other words, he put up with all their worldliness. Even though time after time he proved himself to be faithful and full of mercy, they still had problems with unbelief. To him who smote or struck down kings and slew mighty kings. Now we may not think this is an act of mercy, but rather an act of judgment. These were dreadful, awful kings. The Nephilim kings, the remembrance of the giants, products of sorcery and spiritualism, much like those who existed before the flood. So really, this is an act of mercy for all mankind when God takes people out like that and gave their land as a heritage or inheritance to his Israel, his servant. Today, the nations are still fighting tooth and nail against Israel and keep them out. 
they're hurting themselves and then flaming old wounds, but God who struck down the kings back then, for Israel's sake, is completely able to do the same thing today. God hasn't changed his mind about Israel. He will let Israel settle in its heritage, and he will bring healing to all the hurts of the nations. And you heard me say this to the kids just a minute ago. He remembered us, or who remembered us in our low estate, our humiliation and our weakness. Our merciful God remembers us. Think how terrible would it be if God actually forgot. If you pray for something today and something didn't happen, you prayed again, God said, I'm sorry, I forgot. Aren't you glad God never forgets? He remembers who you are. He remembers the promises he has made. You look back in the Old Testament, when, his, when Israel was crying out in Egypt, and he heard him said, God, when he heard their cry, remember the covenant he made to Abraham. And cause him to go into action. No matter how low we are, no matter how far we have fallen, no matter how frail and forgetful we may be, God always remembers. God remembers as is acting upon a past promise or in accord with a relationship previously established. Now, in context, remember us, in this context, this psalm when it was written, was probably a reference to the Babylonian exile. Here's one you, you may know. It's popular around uh, graduation. Jeremiah, or I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you. You ever look at that verse in context? They're going off into exile. And he makes that promise to them. Excuse me, what? <laughs> yeah, I hear you got promise. Look at that promise in the context which is made. But God kept his promise. He gives food to all flesh, every creature, every living thing. We don't have a monopoly on God's goodness or his mercy. He cares just as much for the animals, the insects, that buzz your head. Every creature has its place in God's ecological banner, excuse me, balance of nature. He reveals his mercy and his care for you, helping you to fight battles and defeat your enemies. Israel was, they weren't always faithful. And let's be honest, are we always faithful? No. But that's when God's mercy kicks in. And then you come to verse 26. The doxology of thanksgiving. Look what it says. Give thanks to the God of heaven for his loving kindness, his mercy, or his love is everlasting. That title, God of heaven, is real interesting. Because in the Hebrew Old Testament, their books are a little different order than our English translations. Chronicles is the last book in the Hebrew Bible. So Second Chronicles is the last book. Chapter 36 is the last chapter of the Hebrew Bible, the last book. And verse 23 is the last verse of the book and the last verse of the Hebrew Old Testament. It's found on the lips of Cyrus, the king of Persia, when he ended Babylonian captivity, that same line. 
The God of heaven is caring for you on earth. His mercy is everlasting. So this psalm begins, ends where it began, with the celebrations of God's continuing faithfulness to His people of Israel and to us today. A call to thank Him for His continuing goodness. We just walked through 26 verses quite rapidly. If there's nothing else you hear me say today, look at the text. If there's one main point, you know how when you prepare to teach or preach, you always look for a common word that's often repeated. Because he's mentioned it more than once. Well, he mentions his mercy is everlasting in every single verse. It's like he's given illustrations about how his mercy is everlasting. It would be like this morning if I got a microphone out and went person to person. Everyone in this room could give an illustration how God's mercy has been everlasting. That's the point of this whole psalm. No matter where we're at, no matter what we're experiencing, remember God, his mercy is everlasting. We all have reason to thank God today. And I know it's been a difficult year. And we're still going through the the effects of COVID. Our country is going through a very difficult time now as well. You're not quite sure who to believe when you turn on the national news anymore. I can tell you one person you can trust. I tell you one person always keeps his word. I tell you one person that his mercy never runs out. So this morning, as we come to this time, I don't care how far you have fallen. I don't care how far you think you're out you are from the reach of God. I don't care that you think there's nothing good in me, Pastor. There's nothing. Well, you know what? You can't escape God's mercy. It's here. It's available. All you do is cry out to Him. It's available. The last thing I want anyone to do this morning in the sound of my voice is to pick the same heavy load up that you brought in this morning. Because nothing's going to change until we finally let go. You say, you know what, God? I'm concerned about our nation. I'm concerned about our community. But God, I know everything is in your hands. As a pastor I listened to last night on his podcast, Alistair Begg said, it really comes down to the most basic question. Do you trust God? Perhaps that's what God's been asking us this entire time with this pandemic. Do you really trust me? I'm not asking you if you understand what I'm doing, but do you simply trust me in what I'm doing? Haven't I proven myself faithful to you so many times? So I encourage you, listen to that voice this morning. If you need to come down here and pray, I'll pray with you. If you want to pray right where you are, that's fine too. If you need to go across the aisle, please, you do. Whatever God's leading you to do. But don't walk out of here. We, I have to say it again. 
Don't walk out of here with a mind frame about what can we be thankful for? His mercy. First and foremost. You know, without his mercy, there'd be no salvation. Without mercy, there would be no life. His mercy goes on and on and on. Doesn't matter who you are, what you look like, where you come from. He's calling out to each and every one of us this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy. It's hard for us, dear God, to truly comprehend the concept of eternity, everlasting. Because, dear God, everything in our existence has a beginning and an end for something to continue on. We can't fully comprehend it, but we know it's true. And Father, I pray for the ones gathered here, those who are listening to us and watching us over the internet, dear God, that you would continue to draw them to your side, that indeed they will know you're a God of mercy, God of love, God of forgiveness. And in spite of everything going on around us, our circumstances, that we can give you thanks because of your mercy. And as we look to the cross of Jesus Christ, we see your mercy on full display. You were not content to sit back on your throne and let us run our course. Your mercy would not allow it. Your love would not allow it. You took action by singing your son down to take on human flesh, to walk around us, walk among us, to teach us, and to show us, and to openly lay his life down as a sacrifice for every man, woman, and child. Father, may our hearts be full of thanksgiving this morning, but not just today, but every day. May we be ready to give you thanks. Because indeed, your mercy is everlasting. In your son's name we pray, amen. Would you stand with me, please?